0: are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. Juliette Kayam is an expert in crisis management and disaster response. She's currently on faculty at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government, was an assistant secretary for Homeland Security in the Obama years, and now, most importantly for our purposes, the author of a brand new book called The Devil Never Sleeps. Learning to Live in an Age of Disaster. This is Juliet Kayyem. Hey, Juliet, thank you so much for being here. Congratulations on the book.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I'm really honored.
0: This is an incomplete list, but I just wrote notes in the margin as I was going through it. Boeing 737 Max, The Hack of Sony, Deepwater Horizon, 9-11, Wildfire in Helena National Forest, The Challenger, Superstorm Sandy, The Colonial Pipeline Hack, Deepwater Horizon, Katrina, and the Champlain Towers near Miami. My yes. God, we have lots of disasters. We have lots
1: of disasters. And the point of the book is, and why are we surprised? And, it's, uh, and basically, the, the book is uh it takes the the long list you just gave and i actually the first the first disaster crisis i look at is the trojan war and i end of course with surfside in florida is is uh is to look at the connective tissue amongst all these different disasters and say hey why are we always so surprised and why are we always sort of like this is unique and to say look you know these are going to happen we're not going to be able to stop all bad things from happening the devil takes many forms shapes sizes uh but we can learn to fail safer because the standard of success can no longer be can i stop the harm from happening right we want everyone wants that to be the truth but we know it's not the standard of success is going to be you know on the other side of the devil's arrival could we minimize the harm? Could we save more lives? Can we, can we get have less damage? And I really want people to rethink uh, disaster management. And 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 I hope that that through the telling of the stories, I can help reframe the the sort of how we think about success and failure.
0: Okay, but I was kind of going round and round on this as I was reading the yeah. book because on one on one hand, I think to myself. The reason that we don't grasp that there will be a next time is because each of these are such aberrations. And we say, well, my God, that couldn't possibly happen again. Yeah. Okay. But then that really doesn't happen again. It's something else that happens, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: that is exactly right. And it's, so, so the controversial parts of the book are basically uh, uh, someone who's been in the store the a long time saying, I'm done with risk calculations, I am. I mean, it, well, first of all, we're bad at it, and secondly, they don't tell me much about what I'm supposed to do because they they get me too focused on the last one, right? So after nine eleven, we're all focused on terrorism. Four years later, we're so focused on terrorism. We can't save an American city from drowning during Hurricane, hurricane Katrina, where we lost two thousand additional Americans. And so, uh, and so, what I look at then is say, okay. Let me make this simple for people, right? The the world is divided into two time zones. As I say in the book, uh, there's the boom, the bad thing, the devil. It could be a pandemic, cyber, terrorism, climate change, whatever. You have left a boom, all the things that you want to do to stop the bad thing from happening. And then you have right a boom, which is basically your response and recovery uh, and while i want I wish for a world for my children where they re- we remain on on the on the on the other side of the boom or the devil 's arrival, uh, my obligation is to make sure that that we 're prepared for it inevitably. so I really look at what's the, what are the common things that happen in a crisis right at that moment of the boom that if I had only seen that all of these are somewhat familiar right they they require getting your head around it, knowing that it will happen, a, a an in-place communication strategy, the ability to stop the bleed or to stop the cascading losses, the, all the lessons that I go through in the book. And maybe that can be, or hopefully that is helpful to people, right? To say, look, we can manage these consequences even, and give us a sense of agency. Because as you know, like, I mean, you, I watch you on CNN as well, you know, it it's, People like me on T V in particular have a tendency to you know, we, we thrive on making people either tune out or freak out. Right. <laughs> That's like their only two options, right? Not as far I mean, as you know. <laughs> well what you try to do too, I have a, not the compliment is like you're trying to find that middle space, right, where people have agency and they can make decisions and not everything is like oh the sky is falling or everything's fine right it's like actually we're sort of
0: in between okay well two. let me ask you this because in the book you have an expression the paradox of preparation yeah. and you made me think yeah. there was a time until recent when in my basement we had water and we had dry goods and Juliet. I don't know why. It could have even been Y2K, which means that stuff's been around for a while. But, yeah, at some point I came to the conclusion this is a waste of time and we ate the food uh. and we drank the water. And I guess you <laughs> would say that's a mistake.
1: That's a mistake. And and because and, and you fell into the preparedness paradox trap, which was uh, um, uh, for a variety of reasons, I did, well, well, what I describe or what that is, is the challenge of being prepared Is The more prepared that you are, the less likely a harm is to occur, and then people will wonder, well, why did you prepare in the first place? The best example is, of course, Y2K, where people rightfully were very nervous about what was going to happen to our computers when they turned from 1999 to 2000, billions of dollars invested. Uh, not much bad happened, invested in, in, in fixing the computers, not much happened. And everyone wakes up on January 1st and says, what was? That? What were they all freaking out about? And you get, so you get, you get no benefits. But the reason why people like you and me and others who can take some form of preparedness into their own hands, and that that's not survivalism, it's not hoarding, it's just your basic provisions that will get you through a day or two or three. I'm, I'm sort of a three-day planner. Uh, is because then we can relieve public safety resources for those who don't have the luxury, or for those who are caught in a situation much worse than ours. By and the so, way, can I um, can I interrupt and yeah. say
0: you you argue in the book that we all took the wrong lesson away from Y two K. You think that yes. because of preparedness we were spared. Yes.
1: Yes, exactly. So so the narrative, if you ask, the narrative of Y2T is, right, that that was a bunch of BS, right? That everyone was freaking out and nothing happened. People are forgetting the reason why nothing happened was there was a, a statute, a global effort, a U.N. convention, billions of dollars spent to get the infrastructure and the banking system aligned uh, because they knew something really bad would happen if they weren't ready for it. And, and a few things did happen. There were, there were systems that did go down, but nothing like what they expected. So we have the wrong lesson. And, and I'll tell you my favorite story, the one that has sort of been excerpted a lot in terms of like, how can I prove preparedness work? Even when bad things happen is, is the this, is this Fukushima nuclear accident. I described, everyone remembers Fukushima. There's there an earthquake, then a tsunami in 2011 and the Fukushima nuclear facility Uh, has a meltdown and radiation. So that's horrible. Uh, And so we think all sorts of things about nuclear energy, and we make broad conclusions that it's inherently unsafe, and that seems tidy, and countries like Germany get out of nuclear and and become dependent on Russia, so to speak, for oil. And then I look down the street, uh, and there was actually another nuclear facility that had taken – uh, mm. An effort in in learning to fail safer. It had delegated response capacity to the ground level, so the guys on the ground saw the water coming, and and you know, technically or non technical terms, turned off the nuclear facility. That facility had damage; it was hurt in the earthquake, had massive water damage, but did not have the worst. Did not have a radiation leak. So I take these two stories and say, what can I learn from it? it is, Actually, we can make things less bad. I can't stop the earthquake and the tsunami, but I can make things less bad so that my lesson out of that isn't no nuclear energy or whatever it is the people, activists will take from. My lesson is actually you can have a high risk industry that can survive pretty bad stuff if only you plan for failing safer. And that's what they did at this other
0: facility. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses
1: Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com/slash metaverse impact.
2: Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right. Former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Listen to Michael live, weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. Juliet, I'm not giving it all away for free. The book is called The Devil Never oh, Sleeps. Thank you. I learned I learned, well I learned a lot of things, but a bit of trivia because I have the poster on my wall. Keep calm, carry on. You're telling me it sat in boxes during World War II? Yes, yes. This
1: is the I I, I everyone loves the word resiliency and we're going to be resilient through this So uh the real story and this is what i do in the book is i reframe these stories that you think you know uh, uh the war council did not release that poster because they had commissioned a whole bunch of slogans to get britain prepared one of them you know you know is the keep calm and carry on it was never distributed in fact forgotten until 2005 when it was found in an uh a used uh bookseller uh in in northern england he Then, then once he, 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 uh, he put it up on his wall, people liked it, he started to sell it, and then, uh, and then people uncovered the story. So uh, just quickly, it is, it is a story about uh, the War Council in Churchill saying it was too passive. In other words, what, what we need in times of crisis and disaster is for people to assert agency. The men needed to go to war, the women needed to go to work, the children needed to be sent off. And um, and so he did not like that message. Right. That is amazing.
0: That That is an amazing amazing story. Hey, um, one other thing. I I don't want you to tell it because it's it's another favorite of mine. And I want to I want to save it for people who read it. But I really got a kick out of your 1840 house in Cambridge and the McHugh family. But it does beg this and how it all came full circle 100 yeah. years later. But I do want to know, like, what's in your basement in Cambridge? <laughs> what do you have put aside?
1: Okay, so three days. I'm very clear about this. So the rule is one gallon per person uh, uh, per day for three days. So I have 15 gallons of water, probably a little bit more. I have basic food provisions because I have stuff upstairs as well. But, you know, just the sort of extras of lots of stuff I mean, part of the difference between a hoarder and a mother of three is is, is like a you know thin thin line. Um, uh, Yeah, exactly. Extra pair of glasses. Uh, we have no specialized medicines. I'm, I'll be honest. I'm I'm very anemic, so I have iron pills because so because I can get tired without them, and um, and that's about it. Because we don't have and dog food. Oh wait, don't forget the dogs. Dog food uh, and extra dog food. And basically, my my theory is I can I can I can rock. Uh, I can you know I, I I'm fine I can rock it for three days without needing to call anyone if I had to we have uh, candles and flashlights I don't have a separate generator because power outages tend not to extend for too long in Massachusetts we don't have infrastructure breakdown maybe I'll change over time uh, but if I were in hurricane uh, areas I definitely would uh, and um, and uh, uh, and we always have extra wines so and we have extra wine definitely so we'll make it through yes and, yeah I have that <laughs> exactly
0: Got to have that. Well, I'm coming to your house. If there's a problem, I'll just find okay, you in good. Cambridge. Juliet, good. thank you so much. I wish you all good things on the book. Thank you hey, so I, was, I, was driving, I was I was driving. I was driving through Cambridge um, a year ago and I saw a really cool colored house and I loved it so much. I took a picture of it, replicated the color and I put it on a, a building that I'm involved with in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And I'm, I'm like dying to tell the people in Cambridge I stole their color, you, but in a you good way. What,
1: do you remember what uh, the address was? Yeah,
0: I do because my producer, Google, do uh, you remember, TC, when you Google, yeah, so magged I, it? I Google, I, dro- no, I drove three blocks from Harvard.
1: Yeah, I drove around Cambridge on, online. Online, to find online, name and of found the house. Yeah. It I can't remember the actual street n- street send but it I to me because I, live, I look it up. Do you remember if it was towards Central Square or towards Porter? Do you even it remember? It was it was over by um, it was it was past Leverett House. So it was oh, down by the, the river. It was between oh like God. Leverett oh, that's, House that's, and the river. That's where I live. I live in Central. <laughs> okay, so it was <laughs> it was a purplish house.
0: Wait, is your is your house purplish?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it is not my house.
0: <laughs> I'll say, "Hey, we'll send you the split screen. You'll get a big laugh out of the house I saw and what I did with the color." The oh, book. I
1: definitely do. All right. Oh, thank you so much for the, promoting the it. Book, I, yeah, you have so many followers. It's so great. Thank
0: the book you. is called The Devil Never Sleeps. Juliet Kayam is the author of that manuscript. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program. Weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the
2: SXM
1: app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com.